Let heaven come. Oh Lord, we, we gather in your presence. We gather in your presence. We rejoice that you are here, Lord. Oh Lord, as you wrap your, your arms around us, you tell us how you love us. Oh Lord, your presence just, just manifesting in here. Let the presence of the Lord come in. Oh Lord. Oh, as your presence ushers in. No, your presence is getting stronger, Lord. Your presence is getting stronger in here. Oh Lord, let the glory fall. Let the glory cloud come in. Oh, it's just like being in the Holy of Holies. Just like being in the Holy of Holies. Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Come, Lord, come. Come, oh, Jesus, come. Oh, come, oh, Jesus. Come, Lord, come, Lord. Touch to us, Lord, touch us. Let your presence come as cloves of fire land on us. Let your fire fall. Oh, touch us, Lord. Let the fire fall, Lord. Let the fire fall. Oh, come, Lord, come. Oh, yes, Lord. Oh, your presence, your presence, your glory, your power. Let the fire of heaven fall. Let the fire of heaven fall. Oh, yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, yes, Lord. Oh, oh, I just want to sit in your glory. Oh, just breathe in the air of the Lord. Just breathe in that celestial air. Oh, this place fills, this is temple fills with your presence. This is temple fills with your presence. Oh, you are the Lord Almighty. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. You may be seated. What an awesome God, huh? We have a challenge in the parking lot with yoga. Now, yoga used to be here at 9 o'clock, and they were gone by quarter after 10. But now, for some reason, they've started a class at 10.30. So if we have to, we'll open up the back parking lot. I don't know if it's going to get you any closer, but it's there. You know, and all we got to do is just unlock the door. You can come in that way. So whatever works for, for you is okay with us. Amen. Amen. So this morning, Jesus gave what they consider to be the greatest sermon ever given. He gave the Sermon on the Mount. Now, there's a lot of Jesus preaching and teaching. There's a lot of things that Jesus did. They, they say the scriptures just couldn't hold everything Jesus did. And I couldn't believe that. Because if he walked from town to town and he healed people, and then he said his disciples, 
out into the land. I mean, somewhere as far away as India. And these guys didn't, they didn't stop. They spread the word. But we're going to look at this. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek, in a lot of categories, is humble. It's quiet, it's still. But in one of the other languages that Jesus spoke, it means to rely on God, to trust in the Lord, to do nothing on your own but to surrender. So what Jesus is saying is, those that surrender to God, those that call upon the name of the Lord, for they shall inherit the earth. They shall inherit the earth. So he's saying if you're the one of the people that will call on the Lord and you rely on the Lord, Amen. you're going to inherit the earth. In Matthew 6, he's teaching the disciples to pray. He says, thy kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. The meek shall inherit the earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are you drawing the category? Are you catching that? That the meek, those that rely on Jesus, are going to inherit the earth. We're going to bring the kingdom of, of heaven here. That that is our responsibility. This is what Jesus is saying. What modern Christianity, especially in the United States, reads, blessed are the weak, for they shall do nothing. I mean, the churches in America have gotten weak. These people, we don't do anything. We've gotten so comfortable, you know, sitting in churches, watching light shows, listening to great worship music, having different speakers and pastors, and running all these little programs. We're not meek. We're weak. We live in a comfort zone. You know, we're, we're church's version of couch potatoes. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, he said, finally then, brothers, we urge you to exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you have received from us how you ought to walk to please God. The meek, those that trust God, those that surrender, 
exhort the name of the Lord. He says in verse 2, for you know the commandments, <coughs> excuse me, what they gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. We know what God has told us. We know what Jesus said. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He didn't call us to uncleanliness. He called us to holiness. This is who we are. He writes in chapter 4, verse 8, Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but rejects God. You're not doing what God has asked you to do. If you're not doing what God has commanded you to do, you're rejecting God. But he says, but God has given us the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall receive power from the when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall receive power. Amen. You shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of all the earth. The power is in you. Amen. The Holy Ghost power the power we're asking God to manifest in this place resides in you. Amen. It dwells there. The holiness of God is filling the inner depths of your heart, your soul. It drives your spirit. So if this is what Christianity is to be, if this is who Christians are to be, why in the world would we let drag queens read books to kindergartens? Why would we even accept this? Why would we accept the fact that teachers and doctors can talk to children about transgender change. They can do things that are irreversible without telling the parents. Why do we accept this? This is an abomination to God. Yet the culture and the Christians have become so comfortable. We just shake it off. I mean, there's, you know, things we got to do. Write to our congressmen, call these people, tell them, hey, you've got to stop this. I mean, Genesis 1.27 says that God created man in his own image. It is the image of God he created it in. Male and female. 
He created them. I mean, we do stand up a little bit. There are groups that do this. But why don't we stand up to these abortion clinics? Who every day kill children? I mean, I can't wrap my head around that. I, I can't understand how somebody could be sitting at their kitchen table in the morning, drinking coffee, having breakfast, and saying to myself, oh, I hope I get to kill 10 kids today. I mean, that's what you go to work. We have to protest this stuff. We have to, the ability to change it by writing to congressmen, by talking, by voting, by doing whatever it's necessary, by putting people in power that will change things. Some of us have the ability, we're, we're young enough and stuff, we can go knock on these doors, we can protest in front of these buildings. But others are not. We still have a voice as Christians, as children of God, we have a voice. The fire of God that burns in us, it burns away the impurities. It needs to set us out there. Again, we've just gotten so comfortable with the world, we just accept things. Peter wrote about it. He said, the enemy will walk around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Well, he's devouring the church in America. He's munching on the church. He's spreading his darkness through all of society. When you're sitting down, you're having a conversation with a friend, they bring up some subject that you know is ungodly. Stand up for who you are in Christ. Amen. Don't back down. Don't be weak. Be meek. Amen. For you're the ones that are going to inherit the earth. These people that don't know God, they're going to be God. Paul wrote to Timothy. He explained to them in the last days what was going to happen. He said, for men will be lovers of themselves. 950 selfies. I don't love myself. Lovers of money. Oh, some people, you try to get money out of their hand. You think you were putting a bullet in them. Or hold on to everything. I got a friend that pastors a church and he has some celebrities that come there. And these guys are multi-millionaires. He says, I'm lucky if I get $100 in an offering from He said, they just, they won't give. 
So yeah, we become lovers of money. We worship money. You know, can't take it with you when you go. You can't. We become boasters. We become proud people. Look at me. I do this. I have this position. Oh, I'm better than you. I look better than you. These are things that people do. We're blasphemers. We bless them. We're disobedient to our parents. You can see that in some of the young people coming up today. Parents go to spank them and they're on the phone to 911. I'm being abused. They don't know what abuse is. We're unthankful, we're unholy. Paul says they're going to be unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without any self-control. You see this all around you. Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haunting, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We have to remember we are ministers of God. We are called. Each and every one of you is a missionary. Each and every one of you has a mission field. Starts at your house and just goes out. It's your circle of people that you know. It's your circle of people that you run into, that you meet on the street. Those are your missionary. Those are your mission field. Those are the ones you that do. Matthew told us, Jesus says in Matthew 10, he said, basically put it in English, he says, this is what I need you guys to do. I need you to go out and heal the sick. I need you to go out and cleanse the lepers. I need you to raise the dead. I need you to cast out the demons. Because freely I have given you this power. So freely, you need to give it. Because you freely received it from me. You need to pass it on. We as a church need to take this younger generation and raise them up to know Jesus. Raise them up to understand who he is. The power that we have. We do it by living our life godly. We have to be the example. We're the ones that we, you, you walk into a store and people just know you're different. They can just see a glow, a light shining off you, the light on the hill, the light of the, the, light of the world, that's you. That's each one of you, brighter than anything, brighter than these spotlights that are in my face. You are brighter than that. You shine through the darkness. You carry the light of Jesus Christ wherever you go. 
You are definitely an enemy of the enemy. You are definitely an enemy of the prince of the air, the prince of darkness. You are definitely there. Because he carries darkness. You carry light. But light always overcomes darkness. Light always. If there's light, there is no darkness. Just remember who you are. James says, you believe that there is one God. You do well, he said, if you believe that. But even the demons believe that. And they tremble. And this is the power and the fire that you carry. You can make them tremble. You can make this darkness. Why do you think they come in groups? They can't stand up against you one-on-one. -on -one. You are a powerful people. You're the ones God has chosen. You know, just pretend, you know, you're sitting in a, on the bench in a sporting event and you're getting ready to go play and God's sitting there next to you going, it's all you. You're going to win. You just go. All the confidence in the world would be with you. Your identity is in Christ. This is who you are. This is what you carry. You're full of the Holy Ghost. You have the third person of the Trinity dwelling within you. This God dwells in you. James goes on and he says, Oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead. He said, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see, then that man is justified by works and not only by faith. Likewise, Rahab the harlot is also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. He said, for the body without the spirit is dead and faith without works is dead also. The words of James. Rahab is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I mean, here's a woman who was a harlot. She was a prostitute. But somehow, the Holy Spirit touched her. Because she said to the spies, she said, you know, I've heard about the things you've done. I know you guys are coming. I know we're gonna, you know, we're gonna go and God's people are gonna take over. She knows all this. How'd she become aware of all this? You know, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit fell on individual people. In the New Testament, he fell on all of us. All that are willing to receive the Holy Spirit, you can receive it. It's there for you. 
remember we were the spirit was poured out on all flesh. But what happened to her when she met those spies and she hid them? And then she lied to the king. Said, I haven't seen anybody. Went upstairs on a roof for two guys laying out covered in flax. No, I don't know what you're talking about, King. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen him. And she sends him out another way. But she makes a deal. She said, you got to save me. They said to her, we will save you and, and all that are with you. When we come, put a red crimson cord out the window and everybody in there will be spared. Jesus pulls out the blood. He says, anybody that's there that wants to be covered with my blood, I'm willing to cover you. They saved her. They annihilated the city. But her and her family got it. And then her and her family lived that with, traveled with those people. She traveled with Joshua and the crew. She lived, had to live outside the camp because there was still a little bit of segregation going on. But if you read the scriptures, if you read the scriptures, you'll know that she's in the genealogical line of Jesus Christ. That she's there. She's right there. What does that tell you? It tells you Jesus doesn't care who you are, where you came from, what you've done. You're welcome with him. He loves you that way. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. This is a message we need to carry. We don't, Jesus doesn't care about that. I mean, he, she was a prostitute, but now she's a new creation. Her faithfulness saved her, saved her entire family. God will bless your faithfulness too. Amen. He will. You remember the day you first received the Holy Spirit. You remember how much on fire you were? Or when you first got saved, you couldn't stop running around telling people about Jesus? We've gotten older. It's been a mile for some of us. We have to remember that fire still burns in us. We have to find a way to convey the message. We have to continue to find a way. Our antics, our, the way we do it may be different, but we need to still do it. Because when we were younger, we could stand out on the streets, we could hold up signs, 
We can shout, we have so much energy. But for some reason, as I get older, we get wiser, but our energy levels drop. I think God should have reversed that. And made us, give us energy as we get older, because he's making us smarter. I mean, each and every one of you have grown by the experiences of life you've gone through. Hebrews 12, 29. God is a consuming fire. He's a consuming fire. Fire. Likewise, God, his nature, his raw power. The Spirit of God is raw power. God, as he consumes, burns away all the impurities. Leaves you clean. He'll change your nature. Why do you think the world is so afraid of Jesus? I mean, you say that word sometimes in public, and you, you know, you get into the middle of Walmart and shout out the name of Jesus. Jesus loves you. These people are going to want to come at you with whatever they can. Why? Because they don't want to change from their wicked ways. Why? Because the enemy has got such a stronghold in their lives. They need to have those chains broken. They need to be set free. However we do it, we need to set the captives free. Our flame, if it's dwindled, needs to be rekindled. We need to put a little more wood on that fire and get that thing consuming again. We need the fire of God. Because it purifies. It helps us become holy and righteous before God. It gives us a zeal, a passion, and a love for the things of God. How do we convey the loves of the things for God? It helps to be completely surrendered to his will. Oh, that's so difficult. Especially for people in the United States. Because we think we get everything on our own. Oh, I went out and bought a new car. And I'm making payments on it. Well, God gave you the job to make the money so you could buy the car. You didn't do it. God did it. Amen. Amen. We need to get the fire going so we can build the boldness. We can go out and speak to God. Amen. We can speak to the people. We can speak to the darkness of society. We can go out there and we can talk to these people that go to yoga and tell them, you're worshiping Hindu gods. Oh, but we're Christians. No, you're not. You're all going to hell. 
unless you change your wicked way. I mean, that's the message. As graphic and as hard as it may be to say to someone. I mean, I've said that to my daughter. So I know how difficult it is. But I didn't have a problem. You either get right with Jesus or you're going to hell. And she just looked at me and said, I don't want to talk about this anymore. So that's the way it is. God has given us every weapon we need to fight the enemy that we run across. But the greatest thing we can do is what Matthew said. Heal the sick. Cleanse the leper. Raise the dead. This is what the power we have. You have the power in you to take somebody who will, when they die, are going to die forever. And you can give them life. You have all this at the tip of your fingers on the tip of your tongue to say to people, God loves you. Despite of who you are. We keep the fire burning in our lives in one easy ways. Meditate on God's word. Pick a scripture and, and meditate on it all day. Think about that scripture. Nothing but that scripture. All day. And don't make it the easy one. You know, the one Jesus wept. We all can remember that one. But not only that, as you read it, live it. Live it. Picture yourself as the disciples that carried the word of God everywhere. I mean, these guys took off. They traveled. I think it was Thomas that went to India. How far away is India from Jerusalem? I mean, they didn't have jets. They didn't get on a, a private jet and come and preach a sermon and go home. They walked. We need to offer up our prayers, prayers of thanksgiving, Prayers of gratitude to God. Amen. Letting him know just how grateful and how thankful we are for all that he's done for us. We've got to ask him for the strength to do it to somebody. Just imagine if, if you could save even one person a month. It's 12 people a year. There's 20 people in here. 20 times 12 is a lot of people. The fire of God helps us to deny 
things of the flesh. Because the flesh is very tempting. We all know that. In Revelation chapter 2, it reads, now this is to the church in Ephesus. It says, the angel of the church of Ephesus right? I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Sounds really good, doesn't it? I know your good works, I know your labor, I know you're patient, I know you hate evil, you don't like these sinners, blah, blah, blah. But it says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do your first works. The church in America has forgotten who they love. They've gotten so caught up in all these little events and things to do and little groups and let's do this and let's eat here and let's go there, let's get hanging out, that they forgot it's all gone. They forgot their first love, the Church of Ephesus. They've gotten soft. The church in the, in the United States is very soft compared to a church in Africa. I mean, just really soft. But Paul writes to the Ephesians. He said, He, meaning God, has made you alive. You were dead in trespasses and sin. He's talking to the whole church. In Romans, he talked to individual people. It was written to the individual Christians rather than a church. It says, for all have sinned, fall short, the glory of God. And that's definitely true. Each one of us have fallen short, the glory of God. But he says, Paul continues to write in Ephesus, he's, in Ephesians, I mean, he says, in which you once walked in the course of the world, and we all did. None of us were born Christians. None of us were born following Jesus. I mean, we come out as little babies. The first words we probably learned was no. Parents said, do this, no. I mean, it, I'm sure disobedient parents right off the bat, no. But he said, we walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of power of the air, and the spirit now works in the sons of disobedience. I mean, we don't want our children to be disobedient. I mean, you, you just don't. All of you that you know, had kids, you don't want to be disobedient. God doesn't want his children to be disobedient. And who is his children? We are. 
says in verse 3, among whom also all we all conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, just as others. We were disobedient. We cared more about ourselves. We took the selfies. We loved the money. We did all this. Paul is just reiterating what he's written to other people. Same frame of mind. Same things going on. Didn't matter whether it was Corinth. <coughs> Galatia or where it was. The same thing is going on through that whole culture. Through the, and the same thing goes on here. The same thing goes on in churches today. There's people that are going to run out of church today that are going to go home and cheat on their spouse. There's people that are going to go out today and argue and yell and cheat the government. There's people that are going to go out today and go from church and steal something, rob something. There's people that are going to go out of church today and lied to their neighbor, lied to their friends. But that doesn't have to be. Because Christ lives in us. We are the light of the world. That is something. That is powerful. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the fire of God burning within us. We have the rivers flowing of everlasting life. We have the ability to do so much for God. The church of Ephesus forgot all about that. They got caught up in the things. This is what they wrote in Revelation. And Paul's writing to the church and he's reminding them. He says, you know, in verse 4, he says, but God. I love that phrase. But God. You know something good's coming. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us, Every reason for God's mercy and love is found in him. This is who God is. Yet, at times, we give God no reason to love us. Yet, in his greatness of his love, he still loves us. He still pours out his mercy and his love on us. You know, we got to stop trying to make ourselves lovable to God and simply receive his love. His great love 
while recognizing that we are not worthy of it. We're not worthy of God's love, not the way he loves us. But we need to have it. I mean, this grace, this covering of God is, is something marvelous. It's wonderful. When we were all dead in the trespasses, he made us alive. Amen. By grace, we were saved. We've been raised up together and made to sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is what God did to those who were dead in sin. He shared our death on a cross and he shared our resurrection coming out of the tomb. This is who God is. We didn't sit, it says in scripture, we sit and sit in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Instead, we sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're not with him in the heavenly places right now. Otherwise, none of us would be here. But we sit in the heavenly places with him. This is our identity. This is who we are. It says in verse 7, in the ages to come that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So it is the grace of God. You know, the important thing to remember, doesn't matter how much grace you need, God's got it. He's never going to run out of grace. He's got enough grace to cover the whole universe. Plus, you're not going to outdo it. He's not going to ration it out and say, oh, you want to get this much grace? And once you hit that line, it's over. No. His grace is sufficient, but it's everlasting. Whenever we need it, it's there. Whenever we need it, he covers us with it. It's more than we could ever want. He overflows with it. You know, we understand the greatness of God's grace. He begs us to take it. He begs us to take it. He's begging every person that's not receiving Christ right now, not walking, walking in Jesus, every single one of them, to take his grace, but they refuse. But he's offering it to them. We received it. Every man that falls, God's there to pick up. Every experience that we have, God's willing. We have all been redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've all been covered in the grace. We've all been forgiven of all our trespasses. And yet we've all still been given everything we need to go forward. Let's stand. Oh Lord, we, we just...
We thank you for the grace. We thank you for your mercy.